This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida IFAS Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Jellyfish exhibits in public aquaria have held a certain mystique and fascination for decades. Early jellyfish aquarium systems and hardy species became available to hobbyists with some success. As systems evolved further and more difficult species better understood, the interest in jellyfish keeps continuing to expand. My guest today, Travis Brandwood, the president and founder of the Jellyfish Warehouse, has helped push jellyfish science and culture forward on many different fronts. Join us as Travis shares his journey from jellyfish novice to expert and teaches us the basics of jellyfish biology and aquarium keeping. We'll be right back after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. Thanks for joining us. My guest today is Travis Brandwood, president and founder of the Jellyfish Warehouse. So, uh, Travis, are you ready to talk jellies? Oh, I am. <laughs> I'm super excited. Well, as you um, you may know, I kind of like to get some personal information from uh, my guests first. So uh, let's start with maybe some early year questions. Uh, how did you first become interested in aquarium keeping? And uh, do you remember your very first tank? Yeah. So uh, my dad actually was a koi fish farmer. So I grew up on a koi fish farm. So I've been keeping uh, fish and I've been, you know, surrounded by aquaculture since I was pretty much born. So I think as far as how jellyfish ties into that, you know, I was always surrounded by uh, raising anything I could, you know, I was scooping fish out of the creeks, I was keeping koi. Yeah. And I think even like my first aquarium, I probably was like five or six, you know, so I was kind of always acclimated to, uh, you know, keeping all sorts of things. So jellyfish uh, was, was kind of a next step for me. That's cool. Did uh, did your uh, your father have you uh, help out on the farm at all? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> From pretty much as soon as I could walk, we were there. Especially during the summer, you know, when we didn't have school, we were we were helping out for sure. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, another kind of uh, maybe good, maybe bad early memory. I was actually doing a search for you, and I came across a Prezi talk that you put together. I guess uh, 10, 11 years ago. 
I think it said you were 16 or so. Sounds about right. You had a picture of a jellyfish with some clownfish. You got to tell me about that system. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm, awesome. I'm like super fascinated that you were able to find that. Uh, <laughs> I don't really even remember making that. You know, of course, I don't remember what I ate for breakfast in the morning half the time. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that was my first ever jellyfish tank. I built that. I converted a, a biorb aquarium, like the tube uh, version, into a jellyfish tank. And I had kept reading online that you could potentially keep moon jellyfish with clownfish. So that was something I had to try out. And I, I mean, it, it worked out. Like the clownfish are immune to moon jellies just like they are to an anemone. So the sting doesn't bother them. But I did quickly find out that um, clownfish, you know, the environment that you keep a jellyfish in is like totally different than a reef tank. It's very sparse. There's nowhere for the clownfish to hide. So while they weren't being bothered by the sting, I could tell that that wasn't really their uh, favorite environment. So that's actually how I got into like reef keeping. I hadn't kept any kind of uh, other saltwater aquarium other than jellyfish at that point. So I took those clownfish and set up a, you know, like a 10 gallon reef tank or whatever. I was wondering, I kind of, in the picture, they looked like, I mean, they looked fine, but they were kind of sort of in a, in that kind of sparse tank. So yeah, I was wondering, it's, it looked right. like an interesting, it looked like an interesting uh, system. Yeah, they, they did sort of associate with the jellyfish. They didn't quite get to like the anemone hosting kind of territory, but they, they sort of associated with it. Very cool. Now, obviously, we're going to get much more into depth and detail with species and some of the more kind of intricacies of jellyfish. But do you remember what were some of the very first species you kept? Maybe not bred yet, but just kept. And yeah. what the main, I guess, kind of early early on differences you you noted between keeping jellies and fish were right right yeah the first species i ever kept was the moon jellyfish um and that's kind of like your your most common commonly kept species uh you know they've been bred in aquariums for years and years um and back then when i first started keeping jellyfish in like 2011 or 12 you really couldn't buy captive bred jellyfish on a regular basis so sometimes they were being imported and whatnot so i think the first moon jelly i ever kept was like from hawaii but yeah so i kept that um i kept a couple other moon jellies from different locations another common one is the upside down jelly sometimes people keep those in uh you know semi reef tank environments so i kept those as well and then i think the third species i moved on to was the bay nettle so yeah, those are kind of my first, uh, I guess, first big three species that I kept um, before I really dove into like breeding them and stuff. Yeah. And then the, I guess kind of what did you see as maybe the major obvious or not so obvious differences between keeping those and keeping fish? Yeah, I think it's similar, relatively speaking, like when you have a concept of how to maintain an aquarium, you know, there's a lot that's parallel there. But the biggest thing is just that you know, jellyfish are, are delicate and they're free swimming. And so you kind of have to go headfirst with the aquarium. Like with a regular fish tank, you can go to Petco or PetSmart or wherever and buy a 10 gallon aquarium or, you know, whatever size you want um, and just get started. But like with a jellyfish, you know, they, they do have uh, special requirements for the aquarium. So I think, yeah, the biggest thing is, you know, all of your work kind of goes in on the front end, getting the right aquarium, you know, and getting that all set up. That's all kind of on the front end. Okay. And yeah, we'll definitely get into more, uh, more jelly yeah. keeping tips in a bit, but let's kind of switch gears a little bit and uh, get into the, uh, the biology a little bit more um, and talk uh, taxonomy. Now, can you maybe give the, our listeners a little bit of sort of science in terms of how jellyfish are related to other animals they may be 
familiar with and also i guess maybe some insights into the major groups of jellyfish and yeah maybe if you can kind of even describe some of the kind of differences that would be that would be cool yeah 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 so like as far as uh jellyfish goes, so they are animals and sometimes that you know surprises people that they they are classified as animals but when you kind of look at the you know totem pole as far as taxonomy goes with animals jellyfish are pretty low on the on the list like you have sponges which are kind of considered the simplest type of animal well jellyfish are like one step up so they're related to corals and anemones they're in something called cnidaria and they actually when you really take a look like a deeper dive into their life cycles and stuff you can see how they're related to uh, corals and anemones a little bit more um, jellyfish are just basically you know they have a free swimming stage whereas like a coral you know picks a spot and stays there for its whole life and then, yeah, as far as some of the different groups go, um, I mean, you can kind of, it really depends on how you look at it, you know, because like scientifically and taxonomically speaking, you can really dive in and there's all of these different groups. But if you're looking at it from the angle of like either a hobbyist or, you know, a public aquarist or someone just keeping jellyfish, I like to split it up into four groups. So you've got your true jellyfish. Those are, again, like your moon jellies or your sea nettles kind of the thing you look at and you go, oh, hey, that's a jellyfish. You've got your hydrozoans, which are the best way I can describe them is the weird cousin of jellyfish. They're kind of, they're a lot of the freaky looking, uh, you know, smaller jellyfish that look like they're from deep down in the ocean. That's usually uh, hydrozoans. You've got your box jellies. Those, I think a lot of people have heard about, you know, the Australian box jellyfish that's lethal, but they're actually found all over the world, including here in America. There's about 50 or 60 species of box jellyfish. And then lastly, you've got your comb jellies. Those are the clear kind of walnut-shaped jellyfish that produce all sorts of iridescent light. And they're actually not a jellyfish. They get grouped in a whole lot, but um, they're something called the tenophore. And they're kind of just in their own little compartment. I think every paper I read recently that comes out about comb jellies shows that they're just like further and further uh, distantly related. Um, so they're, they're kind of in their own category, but we often rope them into the, the jellyfish dome. Because they kind of like move around like jellyfish, but they're not. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're made out of that same kind of, you know, jelly type consistency. You look at that and you go, that looks like something made out of jelly. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So now kind of going a little bit more into uh, anatomy and biology, you know, I've got a little bit of understanding, you know, a little bit on, on kind of the health side. Uh, obviously, I don't know jellyfish nearly as well as you can you maybe give us an idiot's guide summary of jellyfish biology anatomy and maybe starting a, a little bit about reproduction yeah they are super simple creatures you know they, they don't have any real organs so everything they have is just cells and tissues they don't have any true organs so no heart no brain no spine anything like that but when you do like again take a deeper dive into their biology you can see how Everything they have is, you know, nothing's a one-off thing. Everything has multiple purposes. They're super efficient in their design, which is how they've been around for millions of years. Being so simple, you would think that wouldn't work. But what they've done is kind of figured out how to be simple and how to make that work. But yeah, most jellyfish kind of have a, a pretty simple design. Um, they really only have one cell layer. Um, the middle stuff there, that thing we think of as jelly, is called mesoglea. And then they've just got kind of a layer of skin on top of that. They have stomachs. 
So they are able to, you know, catch food and bring it in and digest it. And then they've got these little sensory organs on the outside of their body. And again, not a real organ, but they're sort of used to tell the jellyfish, is it daytime or nighttime? They can sort of detect food and that kind of stuff. But yeah. And then, yeah, I guess maybe a little bit on reproduction. Right. Yeah. So most jellyfish species are male or female. I get that question a lot, you know, like, are they... Do they have a sex? Are they male, female? Are they both? Uh, most jellyfish species are going to be male or female. And then you basically have two types of reproduction. You have internal or external. So with external reproduction, they basically take their gametes and just throw them out in the ocean and hope for the best, you know, <laughs> which is uh, kind of a wild thing to think about that that works, but they, you know, nature finds a way. Uh, and then the internal fertilization is where they actually bring in the gametes and fertilize eggs with it. And then they actually allow the little larval jellyfish to develop inside of the female for a period of time before they're then sent back out into the ocean. And then as far as like their, you know, kind of whole life cycle, they um, have a multi-step process, very similar to like a frog or a butterfly. You know, they've got these different distinct stages that all form a, um, you know, a circular life cycle. It's funny, as you kind of go through this, they definitely have a lot of similarities with some of the other cnidaria. You know, like I'm thinking a little bit about corals. Yeah. So they can also, I guess you can kind of like cut them into pieces and they'll also potentially grow that way? Is that is that another possibility as well for um, reproduction? Well, potentially, yeah. So jellyfish have crazy abilities to heal and regrow. They can grow back most of their body. And in fact, those comb jellies I was talking about, uh, one species can actually grow pretty much anything back in a matter of days. And so they've been you know, a huge topic of research for how that can apply to people in healthcare. But yeah, since they're so simple, and again, they don't have any organs, they're totally symmetrical, pieces of them can be cut off. They usually don't reproduce that way. Some of them seem like they can essentially grow back maybe into, you know, more jellies, but if they can't feed, then they kind of struggle to uh, fully grow back. So if you cut one like straight in half, it would be kind of um, hard for that to, to turn into two species, but they certainly try. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. So yeah. now, uh, what were the very first jelly species you bred? And can you maybe tell us a little bit about how that went? Obviously, it must have been pretty exciting for you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, those very first moon jellies I kept um, actually bred in captivity. And so for me, you know, keeping jellyfish was an experiment. Back then, there were not a whole lot of resources for it. There weren't many companies doing it. I had to build my own tank to get started. And so for me, like the, the logical next step was that after I figured out how to, you know, keep them happy and healthy, I wanted to try growing them. And luckily enough, I bought three moon jellies and I happened to get a male and a female. And so they actually reproduced in that aquarium. And I kind of got started with that, uh, you know, growing them. So I started with moon jellies, got kind of good with that, moved on to some other species. Uh, and, you know, then it kind of snowballed from there. Speaking of uh, other species, so, and I think we'll have to take a break in a couple minutes or two, but before then, can you maybe tell us what would be some of your favorite species and why? Yeah, I get asked this a lot. Um, and it's such a hard question because I, you know, I'm so deeply passionate about jellyfish that I swear it changes uh, every week what my favorite species is. Um, and it's usually whatever challenging species I'm working on, you, you know, uh, unraveling at the time. But um, if I had to pick a single one, I would say the mushroom jellyfish uh, would be my like all time favorite. And they're, they're actually a local species to uh, North Carolina here. 
So what? Yeah, can you describe them a little bit? What do they? Yeah, what? Do yeah, they they're um they're a really neat species. You don't see them too often. Sometimes you'll see them in like late fall or spring. But yeah, so they're found from like Florida all the way up to New York. They're sort of a clearish jellyfish, but they also kind of have like the undersides red or pink. But they're really neat because a lot of the times, you know, you'll hear about maybe one or two showing up uh, every season. And then every couple of years, like maybe every five to 10 years, uh, there's just like a ton of them that wash up and they get massive, uh, which is uncommon for the East Coast of the United States. Most of our jellyfish are pretty small. So it really freaks people out when a three or a four foot diameter jellyfish washes up on the beach, you know? <laughs> so I think they're just super cool um, and they're super understudied too. Uh, there's not much known about them. Um, I've started raising them, but you know, their, their life cycle was described in the 70s and they really haven't been touched since. So I, I think there's a lot more to be done with that species. So that's going to be one of your uh, your next conquests, I assume. For sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a short break, and we'll continue our discussion with Travis Brandwood, president and founder of the Jellyfish Warehouse, after these messages from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> We're back and continuing our conversation with my guest, jellyfish expert, Travis Brantwood. So we kind of talked a little bit about some of your early beginnings and uh, some basic biology of jellyfish. Travis, let's kind of talk a little bit more now about what you've done on the commercial side. So how did you make the leap from jellyfish keeper to breeder to businessman? And and uh, I think I heard or you mentioned you started in your garage, right? Can you, can you yes, yeah. take, us, take us through all of the, the insights and changes and decisions that you, you made to become the uh, president and founder of the Jellyfish Warehouse? Absolutely. Yeah. So I did, in fact, start in my mom's garage, much to her and my stepdad's uh, amusement. <laughs> Slowly, uh, you know, took over the garage with uh, various jellyfish tanks. But yeah, so I got started once I once I started keeping jellyfish and actually breeding them. I uh, started a little blog on the internet because, you know, back in the early 2010s, everyone was doing uh, blogging. But I was just sharing my experience with keeping jellyfish because, again, back then there was so little information on it and you were relying on so much trial and error that I wanted to, you know, show everything, the good and the bad, what worked, what didn't. And, you know, as I was writing about raising moon jellies and stuff, um, and, you know, and I ended up with a surplus of them, people started reaching out um, left and right asking if they could buy the jellies because again 
back then you were dealing with either wild caught jellies or it just wasn't, you know, it was hard to find them in the first place. So I kind of got started accidentally because I, that was not what I thought I was going to do. I was in high school, you know, I was expecting to be a marine biologist or go work at a public aquarium. And then all of a sudden I was selling jellyfish on the side out of my mom's garage. (laughs) And I kind of realized, you know, if I went to college, where was I going to put those jellyfish Uh, in a dorm room? You know, (laughs) I started, uh, you know, I got accepted to college and I started emailing professors in the marine bio department. And I was like, is there going to be like space for me to put, you know, all of these jellyfish? (laughs) And it just didn't seem like it. So I actually skipped uh, college at the time and just dove straight into uh, raising jellyfish and selling them. Uh, I built a website, you know, and then started doing it from there. And I really, I got started out of my mom's garage, you know, probably 2012 to 2014. But then I got my first commercial space in 2017. And that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, uh, you know, like full, full scale. I'm going to go into it. So that must've been a Kind of scary, but exciting at the same time. I would <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It was um, especially because you know at that time again everyone was going off to college and stuff, and here I was uh, raising jellyfish, and you know I, I worked a couple jobs uh, here and there, like at uh, local aquarium stores, to uh, not only build up experience but uh, to save up money for that first commercial space. So it was just uh, a huge leap, <laughs> leap of faith, and, and like an actual leap, you know, jumping into that. So. That's pretty amazing. I'm always impressed. I'm I'm a terrible business person. So <laughs> you and other folks like you always impress me because, uh, yeah, I don't think I could do it and uh, I would be bad at it. So, <laughs> well, that, uh, you know, I meet a lot of people in the hobby that were just like me, where it was like you had a skill or, you know, something you're extremely passionate about and you're like, okay, I want to do this as a career. And then you start doing it and you're like, oh, I've got to do like business and stuff. Like I got to, <laughs> I got to learn that part of it. So that was probably the the most challenging part and the most, uh, you know, trial and error. It was like I had learned how to raise jellyfish, but <laughs> running a business is a whole different <laughs> experience. Yeah, exactly. So uh, tell us now about the, the jellyfish warehouse. You know, if you uh, were kind of describing it and maybe explaining the space as well as kind of what you're doing and what your, um, you know, sort of business is, if you could do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's evolved wildly over the years. Again, started in my mom's garage. But um, the name actually came from my goal starting out was that I realized that there was such a lack of resources and jellyfish and tanks and everything um, for sale. Uh, And there was really nowhere where you could kind of get all of that. So I wanted to create this kind of jellyfish warehouse where you could find everything you needed. Things were affordable because, you know, early on jellyfish tanks were thousands of dollars. Um, So I wanted everything to be affordable and readily available and kind of all under the same roof. And so that's how I came up with that name. And then, yeah, getting started, you know, early on, I got that first uh, warehouse space, which was only a little bit bigger than a garage and just started accumulating you know, tanks and hardware as I could. And I focused originally on breeding jellyfish because I knew that that was what I could do. That was what I was good at. And I just wanted to do as many different species as possible because there, there really hadn't been any opportunity for that before either. It was like, if you wanted to buy a jellyfish, you got moon jellies or whatever random thing that maybe, uh, you know, a wholesaler got in at the time. So I wanted uh, there to be a wide variety of captive bred, sustainably aquaculture jellyfish available. Can you tell us what are what are some of the most popular jellies that you're 
selling to public aquaria to researchers and to hobbyists you know i'm assuming they're probably different um yes maybe go into that a little bit yeah so like as far as the hobbyist level goes uh moon jellies are still the most popular there's the most information about them they're relatively easy to breed and care for so they're in good supply they're very readily available and uh, pretty affordable for someone looking to get into jellyfish so those are definitely still the most common but um I think sea nettles uh, would be the next most common species that we we sell. And we sell quite a few different species of them. Um, I think I'm up to like maybe 10 different species of sea nettles. But they're that jellyfish species that's got the long, really frilly tentacles, uh, kind of the classic looking jellyfish. They're really gorgeous. So naturally a fan favorite. So that's for hobbyists. For public aquariums, I think sea nettles are also huge. They're you know usually a big jellyfish and again, really beautiful display animals. But yeah, I mean, public aquariums are always looking for something, you know, new or interesting to show people. And then as far as researchers and universities go, that's always a fascinating topic because, um, you know, there's a, I almost feel like there's fads that come in and out. People get interested in, you know, a particular species, again, like those comb jellies that can regenerate, you know, every part of their body. That's been a huge thing in the past for research. I'm working on a project now with uh, something called the immortal jellyfish. Um, That's a jellyfish that can actually go backwards in its life cycle. So I just started breeding those. I actually caught several of them on my honeymoon. (laughs) You know, when I wasn't trying to have an actual vacation, I was sitting there collecting jellyfish (laughs) and bringing them back. In between trying to breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So these are like Benjamin Button jellyfish, I guess. Yes, that's something they're called uh, (laughs) frequently. Yes, because they can actually go backwards in their life cycle. So super cool project there. Um, But yeah, with research, uh, there's always some new hot species that uh, is, you know, of interest. So, yeah. So I have to ask about the because um, I've seen sea nettles and yeah, as you mentioned, they've got those really long kind of frilly tentacles. So so hobbyists that have those must have like really big tanks, I take it then. I mean, don't they, they would need a, like a pretty large system. Yeah, typically because they're so long. Now, I, like I said, I have around 10 different species and the size differences between some of them is pretty large. So like the smaller species we offer, like the bay nettles or the Japanese sea nettles, those are more suitable for home aquariums. Not only in size, but also like in the parameters that they're kept at. They do well at room temperature. They eat kind of easy jellyfish foods. But yeah, some sea nettles get like two or three feet in diameter and are are better suited for either giant tanks or public aquariums. And then another little tidbit about jellyfish is that since they don't have any major organs, they can actually, you can kind of keep them at a certain size. They have something called growth and degrowth, which has been another topic of research. But jellyfish can actually... You know, they'll grow if they have the space and the food, but in times where there's not enough food or where there's not enough resources, they can actually shrink in size to help conserve resources. Uh, and it's been found that they can kind of do this back and forth without any uh, negative effects to them. So, Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess kind of going back to maybe a, a lot of our listeners, maybe hobbyists, what would be kind of your recommended aquarium type setups and species? I think you kind of hit on that a little bit, but maybe kind of reinforce that. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to pick three jellyfish species for like a, a hobbyist or someone looking to get into jellyfish keeping, I would pick moon jellies because those are a classic. I would pick marbled jellies. So those are uh, kind of a different shaped jellyfish. They've got more of a 
kind of a gumball shape. Uh, you know, you think of a jellyfish as being like a disc. These are more rounded and they don't have long tentacles, but they're much more active, you know, quick swimming species. Um, and then the bay nettle, which is that other species I recommended that, uh, you know, stays relatively small and does well at room temp. Um, so all three of those species are relatively easy to keep. The foods they eat are relatively easy to get a hold of, and they're just pretty hardy, you know, all around. Would they use uh, similar type tanks and, and like what kind of foods would they be feeding? Yeah, yeah. So they all would do well in similar types of tanks. The cool part about, you know, the, the time period we're in now is that jellyfish tanks are getting simpler and cheaper. Uh, and there's a greater variety of them on the market to choose from. Um, and people are also considering, you know, multiple species when they design these aquariums. So, you know, back in the day, it was like if you picked a jellyfish aquarium, it was usually designed around like a moon jellyfish. And you couldn't really keep, uh, you know, other species in that type of habitat. But now most of the tanks on the market are pretty universal. And then food wise, there are pellet foods now for jellyfish, which has been a huge innovation. It used to be that you had to hatch brine shrimp to feed your jellyfish. And that is still a really good option. You know, it's a live food, so it's super clean and super healthy for your jellies. But it's not necessary anymore for a lot of those more common beginner species. Okay, good to know. And now for uh, maybe more advanced hobbyists, what would be kind of a challenging but not impossible species? Right, right. Yeah, the first one that comes to mind is the blue cannonball jellyfish. Uh, it's one of my other favorite species. They're relatively new to the hobby. And the, the biggest challenge with them is that they're super active and they love to eat. So you just got to keep them fed like all the time. They're really gorgeous species. They're bright blue. They look unnatural. Uh, they're like look like a soda or something like the color that they are but yeah so they're totally gorgeous and uh, have a lot of fun personality um and they're not terribly difficult to keep but again it's just like you got to keep them really well fed so feeding them a couple times a day is ideal if possible i had two kind of questions i just thought about when you talked about mixed species now are there jellyfish that really you don't put together or are they kind of able to get along with each other for the most part yeah, so typically with jellyfish, you want to keep them with other members of like the same species. So like if you keep moon jellies, you can keep a couple moon jellies, but um, you don't want to mix them with other species. Now, there are some exceptions to that. A lot of your tropical species, so like your blubber jellies, your spotted lagoon jellies, those guys tend to do well together. Whereas like your sea nettles, your lion's manes, those are the more like stingy species that will try to eat other species if they can. So my typical advice is if you're a, like a beginning hobbyist or looking to get into jellyfish, stick to one species. Even the species that you can keep together, there are some challenges associated with that. You know, if you're looking to get into jellyfish keeping, I would kind of find a species you like and stick with that one to begin with. Okay, good advice. I actually had another question, but of mm -hmm. course... I I lost it, so it <laughs> comes back. Oh, I now remember. So, you know, with kind of reef tanks, you know, versus kind of fish only, you know, we know there are sort of some water quality parameters that right. maybe are going to be much more important or, you know, that they're much more fragile. How would you say kind of water quality parameters for like a reef tank versus like a jellyfish tank um, would compare? Like, are there things that are going to be more critical or, you know, less critical? Yeah, that's actually a great question. And I typically compare jellyfish to keeping soft corals in terms of water quality. They're not super picky about like nitrates or phosphates. You don't want them to be crazy high, but it's not like, you know, keeping LPS or SPS where you got to really keep an eye on those 
water parameters. And then as far as like, you know, I know reef keepers keep close tabs on alkalinity or calcium or magnesium. Those parameters are important for jellyfish, but they don't use up those elements. So you don't have to worry about like dosing a jellyfish tank because they don't have a skeleton. They're not going to use those elements, but they still want them to kind of be, you know, similar to natural seawater. Okay, good. Yeah, I was curious about that. Let's kind of move on. And you've been really, really active with trying to kind of enhance and get the jellyfish community sort of uh, united. Can you tell us a little bit about the Jellyfish Owners Association that you began and what its purpose is and some of maybe the cool, important things that have come out of it so far? Yeah. So, you know, as a person raising jellyfish, you know, and I've been doing it for, uh, you know, over a decade now, I realized that, you know, if you go to Google right now and look up information on keeping jellyfish, I would estimate that 80 to 90% of what you read is going to be wrong or misguided, which I realize, you know, when you're doing any hobby, any niche hobby, there's going to be a certain percentage of wrong information. But like with jellyfish, it's just astronomical. And so there's so many people trying to get into the hobby and they just end up misguided or have the wrong ideas because it's like so much of that information that's right up in front and, you know, in your face is just wrong or misleading. So the purpose of the Jellyfish Owners Association was to create like a, a place, like a centralized location where jellyfish keepers could exchange information. So I wanted it to be jellyfish specific because, you know, there are forums out there for aquariums and sometimes jellyfish come up. But a lot of the times those people, you know, haven't kept jellyfish or they're just sort of regurgitating information that they read um, on the internet at some point. But then I also wanted to create a space where jellyfish keepers of all backgrounds could come together. So we've got people who have never kept a jellyfish and they're just doing research. You know, they're in that early phase. Um, and then we have uh, some of the greatest jellyfish keepers in the world in that group, um, everybody in between. So I just wanted this space where we could all talk about jellyfish and come up with ideas um, and we could all kind of fact check each other. You know, it's not one person and it's not one company controlling all the information. It's everybody uh, in the jellyfish community so that we can all come up with great ideas and kind of exchange, uh, you know, how we're doing jellyfish keeping from, you know, all parts of the world. So, uh, and then, yeah, as far as some of the cool stuff that's happened, I mean, really the coolest thing has just been like the connections that have been made, not only between me and other people, but uh, members of the community. Because again, there's people from, you know, all continents keeping jellyfish and talking about it. And again, it's helping hobbyists talk with public aquarists and with scientists. And we're all kind of exchanging information so that we're not, you know, getting trapped in our own bubble, you know, where we're kind of checking our the way we do things with other other types of uh, jelly keepers. So the, the communication and the connections that have been made have been really cool to uh, kind of watch unfold. Yeah, that's excellent. And definitely, uh, you know, there's obviously so much to be learned either from public aquarists or from the hobbyists who have really, you know, done a lot of in this area. So yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like a really great group. I just, as you know, I just joined. So hopefully I'll, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll try to learn a little bit more about them as well. And I know you mentioned this as well. And, uh, you know, you, a really, really big project here, uh, the Jellyfish Compendium. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And obviously goals and, you know, where you are with it so far. Yeah. So I started that, I think, either late 2021 or early 22. But I was suffering from some major burnout. Uh, you know, I've been raising jellyfish for years and running a jellyfish company and all that. 
And one of the things I was feeling was that I, I didn't feel like I was, uh, you know, contributing to something permanent. Like the science of jellyfish fascinates me. And I had gotten really interested in the taxonomy as well, like diving into identifying jellyfish and understanding all the different species. And again, I noticed that with like the information uh, you know, in the world of jellyfish, even in the scientific community, the information is so sparse and spread out and difficult to access. You know, even if you're a scientist or public aquarist, it's like impossible to find consistent information. If you're raising a species of jellyfish and you want to find a picture of what the babies look like or what the larvae look like, most of the time, if you Google it, you'll find nothing. Or you'll find a you know hand-drawn photo from its original description in 1850-something you know, or whatever. So I kind of got this idea to set out to photograph every species of jellyfish I could get my hands on and to photograph each stage of their life cycle. So everything I could get my hands on. And then I, I kind of wanted to put this all in one place and make it freely accessible to anybody. You can just go there, you know, scroll down and find the jellyfish you're looking for. Uh, and then you can find pictures of its life cycle. You can find information on how to keep them, you know, and everything in between. And so it's kind of a um, amalgamation of my own personal experience and anecdote. And then also me digging through the literature and trying to summarize it and put it in one place so that we have an easy kind of way to access it. So yeah, I'm just kind of hoping to make it sort of a legacy project. So I would love to document every species of jellyfish. That's a really bold goal, especially um, because we're describing new species pretty much all the time. But um, it's just something to work on as I can. So I started accumulating species. You know, I had a handful of species that were useful for, you know, raising to, to sell. But a lot of species are just not really commercially of interest, uh, but are still super fascinating. So I'm up to 57 species in my collection at the moment, which I believe is the largest collection of jellyfish in the U.S. Not the world, <laughs> but I, I believe that, yeah, it's the largest collection in the U.S. right now. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So have you taken on um, a man of war yet, Portuguese man of war? That is like one species I have <laughs> zero experience with. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're just, they're not common here in North Carolina. I know in Florida, you get like a good uh, wind, especially like in the winter months. It seems like you'll, you'll see them wash up, but I've only seen one and it was in Florida and it was dead when I found it. So I haven't had the chance to work with them, but that's something I would be very interested to try out. Yeah, that's the same experience. I was on the East Coast and uh, just walking the beach and there were like, yeah, like you say, a couple must have gotten blown over. They were, they were beautiful, but but dead. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty interesting. Now I do work with box jellyfish. I have, I think, six or seven species of box jellies right now. But, yeah. Have you decided uh, whether you want to put up a little webcam for your, uh, your jellies yet? I've thought about that. Yeah. I, like I know that some public aquariums do those like live uh, jelly cams, yeah, super live popular. And I'm, I'm actually moving my facility right now and I'm kind of building my dream jellyfish lab. <laughs> so when that's all done, when the dust is settled from that, I might actually consider setting something like that up. Yeah, that'd be really cool. It sounds yeah. like a lot, a lot of really interesting species there. So I think in one of our correspondences, you had mentioned uh, something about hitchhikers. Can you maybe uh, talk a little bit about hitchhiker jellyfish? Yeah, this has become kind of a, you know, a little niche interest of mine recently is jellyfish ending up in spots where they're not supposed to. Um, so uh, people who've kept reef tanks may have come across uh, like upside down jellies are very common hitchhikers in reef tanks. They come in on live rock or corals or whatever. 
And then other little uh, hydrozoan jellyfish are, are common um, hitchhikers in reef aquariums. And they usually show up and then, you know, go away on their own and people get curious about them. But I think it was last year I had just a little 30-gallon tank set up for some basslets, kind of a side interest of mine or deep water basslets. Um, but I had tossed some live rock in there from my reef tank to help speed up that cycle. And a couple of months into it being set up, I noticed little box jellyfish growing on the sides of the tank. So their larval stage, you know, grows on the sides or like on a rock or the, the glass or whatever. So I noticed these little, these little box jellyfish growing there. And I was like, that's something totally different. You know, like uh, upside down jellyfish are essentially harmless. They're nice friendly little, little species of jellyfish. And I'm over here with, um, <laughs> you know, who knows what I could tell it was a box jellyfish, but I, uh, I don't know the species. It could be <laughs> anything. So I started raising those and have had some success raising them. They're really tough, but I started digging into the literature and there have been species of box jellyfish, which have been only identified from aquariums. Like they've never been seen in the wild. They've only been known by showing up in people's aquariums. And I'm not the only person either that's found them in their, you know, hobby uh, aquarium. There have been other people, even in the Jellyfish Owners Association, people have posted uh, videos of box jellies that have cropped up in their tanks. So that makes me wonder, like, how often is this happening and how many species are there that are potentially undescribed or unknown to science that are just living in people's aquariums in their homes? And, you know, a jellyfish won't live very long in a standard reef tank. It'll get sucked right into the powerheads or down the overflow. So I think, you know, you could have jellyfish growing in your uh, reef tank and you wouldn't even know it. If you didn't catch it at the right time when those babies were just born, then they may, you know, disappear. So in the future, I would like to start buying up a whole bunch of live rock and stuff uh, from all over the world and just see what, you know, what starts growing out of it. Um, because I'm very intrigued by what's growing in people's aquariums around the world. Like a box of chocolates. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you really have no idea what you're going to end up with. Uh, and there's whole new types of chocolate growing in there. <laughs> so have you had a chance to get any of the box jellies that you saw like identified or they're still kind of unknown? They are currently unknown. I just sent, I have three unidentified species right now and I sent them off to be DNA barcoded. So that means the lab is going to take them and, and extract their DNA and compare it to other ones in the database. So they can either tell me, oh, this is that species, or they can say this isn't in the database. And that either means that it's a new species or it just hasn't been entered yet. So waiting patiently on that. I don't know how long that's going to take, but very curious to see what that ends up being. Very cool. Very cool. Well, unfortunately, I think we're out of time, Travis. So I want to thank you a lot and our producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. Travis, did you have any uh, final words of wisdom on jellyfish or aquaria or life in general? <laughs> That is a, that's a great question. Well, firstly, I appreciate you having me on. I always love a good excuse to talk about jellyfish and uh, aquariums in general uh, with other like-minded aquarium people. But yeah, as far as jellyfish keeping goes, I think the, the biggest thing is just uh, do the research, you know, join groups like the Jellyfish Owners Association or just, you know, poke around the internet and try and filter out information because that that's like your biggest tool with keeping jellyfish is just do the research ahead of time so you don't have to do all that trial and error so that, you know, hopefully you're, you're doing a, you know, great job right from the get-go. So, yeah. Very cool. And you know what? I actually thought of one quick one more quick question, which which was, I forgot to ask you about lifespan. So like, what's kind of your 
average lifespan for like your beginner jellies that you were talking about and maybe some maybe some of the other ones yeah i'm glad you asked that because this is one of my favorite questions and it's another one of those myths that i see like all the time is people uh you know are upset um that jellyfish have short lifespans i always hear that they only live a couple of months or less than a year but yeah, like if we take a look at the moon jellyfish, for example, it's pretty common for them to live two to four years in captivity. And that all has to do with, you know, how well they're taken care of and all of that. But yeah, moon jellies have been kept all the way up to, I think, 14 years in captivity at some public aquariums. Again, they don't have organs to fail. Uh, you know, they're really simple. So if they're in really good conditions, they'll keep going uh, for a long time. That myth that they only live a couple of months is uh, totally untrue. And, you know, every new species we're keeping that we're learning more about, it seems like we push that lifespan, you know, longer and longer. Good to know. Yeah, I was wondering about that. So I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, should I should have asked that sooner, but that's, that's <laughs> all right. <laughs> anyway, uh, please be sure to check out Travis's social media links, which we'll have on his Aquarium Mania episode page. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. That's D-R-R-O-Y at petliferadio.com. Until next time, please visit your local cram stores, keep your tanks clean, and definitely consider jellyfish for your next tank. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.